Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here on this magic night with Bruce McCurdy. Hey, Bruce. Hey, David. How are you doing tonight? <laughs> Pretty exciting hockey game. I'm, the people who attended that game, what a, what a yeah. show was put on. They must be delirious. You know, and it was great to have Kevin Lowe's... Uh, uh, sweater retiring number sweater retirement night capped off with a huge win by the orders it would have been a bummer for them to lose on this but the way they won it bruce i mean that was one of the most thrilling oiler victories of all time in the regular season it was a great fun regular season game uh, with some highly memorable plays at the end of it to say the least bruce this will be our uh Two good things, two bad things, and two numbers podcast because the order is one. We'll go with two good things each. I just want to ask you something, though. Um, Jack Michaels was saying throughout the game that he thought that the momentum changer was the order's PK, big PK. They were down uh, four to one in the second the orders were. The Rangers were ahead, and the orders killed off a penalty. I actually think it, the, the momentum swing came before then, and we, and we can't know this kind of thing, right? We're, we're all just guessing. But Leon Dreisaitl's massive, thundering, blistering hit mm-hmm. on Sammy Blay, I think it was, like a t- oh. kind of a tough player on the Rangers, Dreisaitl just leveled him. And then he got a penalty. And it's the kind of penalty where when you, your teammate hits someone like that, you just want to, you know, the cliche is you want to kill off that penalty. And I saw, personally, I thought that was the the game-changing moment. What about you? Yeah, I kind of had the same feel for that. You know, I thought the, pe- the penalty was... Uh, I guess there was like Blade passed the puck off and there was maybe one steamboat and then uh, Drysaddle crunched him and they called interference. And this was after the Rangers had scored three goals in a row and had absolutely dominated on the previous power play and thought another power play goal, it's five to one and turn out the lights. And the power, the penalty kill did wake up, but I'm kind of of the same mindset that that uh, Drysaddle leaning into uh uh, that Ranger like that was a was a play that sparked the Oilers, including the penalty kill unit, and they uh, they took over the game largely thereafter, including a pretty dominant third period and thereon. So I mean, you could say mistake by Drysaddle. It was it was uh, you know take a penalty, uh, but on the other hand, <laughs> he kind of let it all out at that moment, and it's, it did seem to provide an emotional boost. For the orders <clears throat> and when they killed it off it just seemed like all of a sudden the ice was tilted and edmonton was just pouring it on for you know most of the rest of the game that penalty came halfway through the second period i don't know quite what the shots were at that point but i know by the end of the second it was 22 21 rangers and it wound up 39 25 no it was 22 21 oilers it wound up 39 25 oilers and they they just completely took over. You'd never know New York was playing with two days rest. They looked like a team that was was sucking on fumes on the back end of a back-to-back. But they just, in the end, they couldn't keep up with Edmonton's firepower. Hey, Bruce, you might want to adjust your camera just a little bit. You're, you're uh, not in the middle of the screen. You're kind of at the, like your your yeah. mouth is just above the bottom. So I don't know how it looks for other people yeah. that's looking at this end. Yeah, that Rangers power play where they scored, um, it was it was the first time that the Oilers do that to other teams all the time, control the puck with such mastery. 
and the Rangers had did it to the Oilers on on that PK. It was it was such an effective power play when they scored that uh, <laughs> there you are. It was such an effective power play when they scored. It was almost like none of the Oilers had a real chance to stop the goal from going in. And I think that's how other teams feel about the Oilers' power play yep. now and then. All right, let's move on. Let's move to our good things first. What's your first good thing? What are you going to start with? Oh, well, I'm going to give a shout-out tonight to Yesipoli who uh, he keyed the comeback, really, with uh, both the second and fourth goals as the Oilers cut a 4-1 deficit all the way back to 4-4. And I, well, I liked I liked his overall game. Like I thought he was the best player on his line for a good chunk of the game. And when you're the best player on a line that includes two best players in the league, chances are you're having a pretty good game. And he was. I mean, he he's so he got so involved in the game, and he just barges around there with uh, he plays with uh, uh, what's the word reckless enthusiasm. That's not. Exactly it, but close Reckless enough. Reckless abandon. Reckless abandon. Yeah. Okay. And anyway, he uh, uh, the four two goal was he took a, a great lead pass from uh, Ryan Nugent Hopkins on the power play that was going nowhere, and they'd had the shot puck shot down the ice again, and all of a sudden there's a a breakout of the Oilers zone, and the two Oilers that never did touch the puck or get a point on this goal were McDavid and Drysaddle, and the other three guys got the points including Pugliarvi, who took uh, RNH's great stretch pass and skated over the blue line and did almost the full Bobby Hall wind-up, uh, where his stick almost was pointing directly up to the ceiling. Hall actually used to go actually over, like beyond vertical in his wind-up. It was so extreme. But uh, Pugliarvi, not often you see a stick pointing at the ceiling, winding up for a slap shot in, in 21st century hockey. We used to see that a lot in the, in the 70s and 80s. But nowadays, uh, not so much. But the good you part of it... You get poke-checked, right? You get poke-checked. Yeah, well, he had room and he knew it. So he just leaned into it as hard as he could and just hammered it. And he didn't hit the goalie, so he hit the net with a with a rocket of a shot. Uh, and that cut the lead to 4-2, and uh, it came pretty late in the second period, as I recall. A lot happened this game. Yeah, 15 minutes into the second period, and it changed 4-1 to 4-2, and it kind of breathed some life into the corpse of the Edmonton Oilers at that point in time. They really were down and out um, for a big chunk of the second period especially. And then he got the tying goal by... Uh, uh, going to the front of the net and collecting a loose puck and uh, uh, calmly converting a rebound, one of several rebounds that was given up by Alexander Georgiev in the nets for uh, New York Rangers, the third backup goalie the Oilers have faced this week, by the way. So some opposing coaches have been kind. Like Things are breaking right for Edmonton at this particular time. Can't deny that. And facing a string of backup goalies, Scoring five regulation goals on all of them this week, uh, you know, was uh, was helpful. Rangers were saving their their true number one goalie for Calgary tomorrow night, so you got to like it. <laughs> but Bruce, maybe maybe this is a statement about the Oilers. They don't want to waste. Mm-hmm. They're they're hedging their bets. They want to yeah. start. They their want goal. one win in Alberta, and they think they can get yeah, it. Yeah, they want to start their number one goalie in the game. They think they can win. I'm just guessing here. But it could be a statement of the Oilers' stature. Like, you're going to, okay, we'll throw the other guy to the Wolves against the Oilers. We won't wreck our 
starters confidence with their power play and um, we'll try to win one in Calgary. Could be that could be part of that. So in the case of the Rangers, the difference between their two goalies is extreme. Shesterkin's like 185 and his save percentage is nine, close to 950. And Georgiev is four, 4.5 or something like that and worse after tonight. So it's like night and day that's, between. That's their goals against average? The goals against average. Yeah, okay. 185 right. goals against average and 940-something save percentage for Shesterkin. And Georgiev is way down in four-point-something range and 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 uh, eight-point-eight-something range on save percentage. Like, it's extreme difference between the first and second goalie. So that was an important decision. I'm guessing if Shesterkin had played that game, New York would have won it. I think, yes, they had to score that power play goal because he wanted to maintain that 50% power play <laughs> efficiency rating. <laughs> You know, Bruce, he's he's a he's an interesting player because I still I still haven't decided and I still don't know is he like a point a game player or is he a point every second game player? And he's probably going to be something in between. But it, you know, there's a chance there's still a chance that he's a point a game player. And on nights like this, this was a real statement game from Puliyarvi because he was the best player on that line for a long time till certain things happened later in the game which we'll get to shortly he was just flying out there and that sh- that you know the two goals that he scored were great goal scorers goals he you know he's been missing the net fairly regularly on setups for mcdavid you know just missing it just not quite there but man did he fire that puck uh, on the first goal and it was a great sniper's goal on the second goal so i liked it a lot bruce my good thing will will have to be mcdavid's uh tying goal and um i was gonna give you know i was like he hadn't scored the overtime play goal by then and i was thinking like seven eight but as soon as he made that play i I had to give him a 10 like i just like (laughs) it's in crunch time to execute a play like that i mean the the wizardry he just cast he seemed to cast the spell on the rangers it looked like the really really you know brilliant peewee player in tier one going against the tier tier four players. He made them look so bad. And these are NHL defenders who are really good defenders. You know, and he 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 cast such a spell and his wizard, he put such a hex on uh, poor Patrick Nemeth there. He turned him oh. inside out. I mean, I think Nemeth was just glad that he was, that he was undressed on the ice and not turned into a bullfrog, just sitting there <laughs> riveting on the ice after that play. <laughs> because the poor guy, I mean, Morgan Riley, Morgan Riley looked really bad on mm-hmm. that one. Yep. This may so be did, worse. So did Jack Johnson in that uh, famous goal against Columbus and the, the day he yeah. came back from the broken collarbone. He made, yeah. Jack John, he made Jack Johnson look like a bullfrog on that goal. And he's yeah. done it He's done it to other better players than Patrick Nemeth and... and uh, Turns uh, them into rodents and frogs. Jack right Johnson. <laughs> he really is a wizard. Like, that was such... Mm-hmm. It was such an amazing goal, and it was such a great Connor McDavid moment. You know, he's playing the New York Rangers, you know, with all of the, the hoopla around that team, because it's a good team, and uh, it's from New York, the big media center. And for him to score a goal against that team in that moment, this is not going to be forgotten. And, um, I mean, it, it just adds oh. to his what a play. And then the overtime play, Bruce, where he sheer determination wins the puck in the corner. Mm-hmm. And feeds a nurse who makes a beautiful pass to dry settle. I mean, that was yeah. a that was a McDavid was so fired up and so keen to win. That was a great play too by him. So 
I stand by my 10 yeah. for his game. Yeah. Okay, yeah, I saw him as having a game where he was struggling to make his dangles and deeks. Like, he kept, the puck kept coming yes. off his stick. He got he got checked. They were double-teaming him and, you know, just getting on him quick, and he wasn't a- able to make plays. But even against that sort of intense net of defense, he wound up in a game with, a, you know, a goal and two assists and, and the wonder goal, as you say. I mean, here's the official scoring play. Connor McDavid from Tyson Berry. And Leon Dreisaitl at 17.01. Well, I, I, I rolled back the tape, how I make her style. And Dreisaitl last touched the puck 15 seconds before the puck went in the net. And Barry touched it one second after that because Dreisaitl fed Barry in Barry the slot. Barry rang the puck off the post. For about two seconds there, the puck was coming off the post and all the way over to the sideboards. And McDavid recovered it on the side wall and he tried to turn up inside the blue line and he bobbled it again and he bobbled it just outside the blue line and his first reaction was to pull it back in and he would have gone offside and his second sort of super uh, reaction was no I don't want to do that I got to keep it outside the line now and he he sort of quickly put another touch on the puck to keep it uh, from going back in over the line and 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 forcing the offside and then he just waited in the neutral zone while Pugliarvi, who had been battling down low in the slot, he needed a couple of seconds to clear the zone. And McDavid's just sort of lurking out there with the puck on his stick in the center zone, sort of taking stock of what's coming in him. And he's got no speed at all. This wasn't one of his super rushes at 100 miles an hour. He's like going from a standing start. And sort of Gordie Howe style. He just walked right through four guys, went skated right into a cluster of four Rangers and right out the other side of the four of them with the puck, put a little deke on uh, on Georgiev and tapped it home. So he wound up, I mean, originally they called an unassisted goal and I was saying to my wife, no, no, they got to give assists there. Rangers never did touch the puck in between <laughs> times. So Barry shot off the post is going to be the primary assist and it was. <laughs> but it was i mean it was all so Dave. far back uh, that, that was uh, maybe the first one this year where you could just say that was all mcdavid like he just manufactured a goal out of whole cloth and just leave you in awe watching the guy and with a you know trailing by one with three minutes left in regulation that's a pretty good time to be getting a goal like that and usually a pretty hard time except the other teams usually stepping up the defensive play at that point but Whatever, pure magic. He just went in there, waved his wand, and by the end of it, he probably touched the puck like stick handles maybe 15, 20 times in there because he had it for a long time. And eventually he just sort of tucked it into the net because he'd beaten all of them, Georgiev included. Yeah, he got inside of Nemeth's attack triangle, as a, he, <laughs> you know, that triangle of the defender with his stick out, and he just, he got, what a play. Bruce, what is your... Uh, second good thing my second good thing is going to be tyson berry who i thought had an excellent game and uh, he uh he got promoted pretty early in the in the in the first period to the first pairing with nurse and and bouchard moved down the lineup i'm not sure what it is that dave tippett saw uh and overall bouchard he kind of bounced back and played okay but he did have some tough moments and i think especially in the early going a few of them did and maybe that long delay for that for the big uh ceremony uh sort of put put the lactic acid in their legs or something because there, there was a, a pretty sluggish start but Tippett reacted pretty fast and moved uh, barry onto that first pairing and i just thought he had a fine game 
you know, I mean, you could say that first assist he got on the McDavid's goal was just a lucky assist. But hey, wait a minute. He rang a perfect, almost perfect shot off the post from close range trying to tie the game, you know, just seconds before that. He did fire an outside shot and beat Georgiev to cut the lead to 4-3 early in the in the third. He wound up with three points on the night. And I do believe he had outstanding uh, shot shares of, yeah, eight, 13 to 6 shots on goal during his uh, time on ice and 18 to 6 in scoring chances, 9 to 2 in high danger chances while he was on the ice. Like Edmonton really was pushing the play and Barry was very active and all over the offensive zone doing that. And I thought he was pretty okay in his own end of the ice and moving the puck north from there. So, uh, Credit where due, Tyson Berry. That's uh, that's the kind of hockey orders are playing, paying you to play, and he played it tonight. Yeah, and in overtime he was good too. He he oh. he won a he got a great shot off, and then he won a slot battle, which led oh. to a, what I thought was a dangerous shot, but I guess it was blocked by Drysaddle. But it was his hustle in the slot that put it back to McDavid, who set up Drysaddle. So Tyson Berry was really good. My only uh, quibble, Bruce, was as soon as they moved him up to the top pairing, he did one of his typical pinches. Oh yeah, and, and they got and they got a two on one out of it. You know, McDavid was also caught on on the play, but mm-hmm. after that, he settled right down. And and I, I don't know quite why they were looking to move. It seemed like they were almost looking to move Bouchard off the top pairing because it wasn't much of he wasn't that bad. He wasn't the problem with the team early in the game in any way. But they did move him out of there. I thought and um, it worked out. So I'm not going to say anything. That was a, it's other than, hey, good move by the coach, I guess, because Barry played his best mm-hmm. game of the year his best game in a long time for the Oilers, and it was great to see him do that. Well, he basically stunk for five games, Barry, and I think the second five games he's been a lot better, but tonight yeah. maybe was his best. And you talk about that slot battle in the in the, in the <clears throat> overtime where he wins it, McDavid passes, Drysaddle gets an angle shot. Uh, I was almost certain that Barry was going to lose that battle and that he was going to be lying on the ice in the slot while New York came flying down the other right and three on two against two forwards. And it was huge trouble. So him winning that battle was just as key on the defensive side of the puck as it was on the offensive. It was a, it was a fierce battle to maintain control of the puck, and he won it. And not from a favorable position, lying up sort of face first on the ice, but uh, he wouldn't quit. Um, Bruce, my... Second good thing is the Nuge line. And when Nuge was on the ice, it even strengthly outshot um, Big time. 15 to 6. It was just really effective, really efficient. You know, I, I've, I haven't been in recent years a huge fan of Nugent Hopkins at center. But with those two wingers, um, I mean, Hyman and Yamamoto are such fantastic defensive hockey players that that line works. Um, they advance the puck out of the Oilers zone. And uh, Nuge is the catalyst on the attack. And and Hyman is just such a tremendous player. Um, he, uh, on his goal, who put it, was that a Barry shot that went on net? Um, I believe so, yeah. That, that was a, uh, no, actually what it was, was uh, uh, we, were seeing, we were seeing replays of New York Rangers breakout systems while Oilers were scoring a goal. That was a big fail by Sportsnet. All right. But then when they showed the replay and we saw what happened, it was, in fact, a a Tyson Berry shot 
from outside and Hyman pounced on the rebound and actually took him two cracks to put it in the goal. He stopped the first one and he stayed yeah. with it. And a Nuge face-off win to mm-hmm. kick that off. Then when uh, he kind of, Hyman returns the, f- the favor of Barry getting that puck on net on the power play, it was just a, it was one of the, it's like what I call a total eclipse of the sun screen of the goalie where Barry puts that shot on net. And I don't think the goalie sees it. It's just in the net because it was such an effective screen by Zach Hyman. Later in the third verse, he has two great wraparound chances where he almost scores. And and the second of them comes, this was such a fantastic game that there was a shift in there where the order spent 76 seconds by my count in the offensive end on this one shift. And it was not the McDavid line. It was Cassian and Hyman. I think Bouchard was out there. And uh, Hyman got the second of his wrapper. It was the only grade A chance, I think, in that sequence. But 76 seconds in a key moment in the game. You know, there was about four or five minutes left in the game. And, it, you know, it it was a foreshadowing of the Oilers' uh, great things to come. That, that that third line, I think Ryan might have been on this, was just was just bombing those guys at that point. And uh, excellent shift. It was maybe Fogel or Ryan. It was Fogel or Ryan, I can't remember. But Hyman was out there in the middle of it, so... He yes. was just—he's such a great player, Bruce. Like, what a pickup he's turning to be. And I don't know what they're saying in Toronto. I mean, it, they seem to be fairly stoic when he left. But um, I don't know if they're stoic about it now. Well, he had six shots on net tonight, ten shot attempts, and specific to Hyman, when he was on the ice, the Oilers had sixteen scoring chances to two by the count of uh, natural static, and ten. Grade A scoring chances, or sorry, high danger chances to one for both Yamamoto and Hyman. Like that line was just bringing it and bringing not just the number of shots, but the quality of shots. I always find their scoring chance. I always find their scoring chance data. It almost mirrors the shot data, and it's a little bit iffy. Like I don't know how they they use shot data and where the shot is from to say is this shot also a scoring chance, the shot attempt. So they. uh, anyway, they, they're all of their data. I mean, shots on net with Hyman on the ice was sixteen to five. Like yeah, that's what I go. That's was, what I go. The by. ice was tilted yeah. into New York Rangers' end when he was out there, and he was going hard for the net, wrapping around, making hard plays. I bet you his six shots combined were probably thirty feet. Like he, they were, he was pounding them from close range. Worked his butt off, screening as you say, as well as uh, as well as taking the puck hard to the net. Well, by our data, he made five major contributions at even strength to grade A chances and just one uh, major mistake on a grade A chance against. So for a winger, that's a, that's a really good ratio. And and then he also had the great play on the power play. Are we on to bad things now, Bruce? Do you have a bad thing? Yeah, I guess I'm going to go with the uh, temporary third line of, uh, of um, Devin Shore between uh, Warren Fogle and Zach yeah. Cassian. And they, that was one line that couldn't get her going tonight. And I'm not even sure what happened to Devin Shore because he disappeared entirely from the game and from the Oilers bench about midway through the game. Uh, but the part of the game that he was in there, uh, that line got caved uh, for two goals. And uh, one, in, the first one was uh, uh, a bit of a uh, weak coverage. Uh, he lost a battle by, uh, uh, on, on the first goal. And uh, it it was kind of a cluster, like 
things went sideways in a lot of areas. Koskinen kind of lost the puck behind the net. Key skated through the crease and de-sticked Koskinen. And then uh, uh, Keith kind of screened Koskinen on the shot that followed. And, uh, but the whole problem was that that line was stuck in their own end and they were having a hell of a time getting it out. And then on the uh, 3-1 goal, this was mostly on Warren Fogle of that line who made a brutal giveaway across the, across the middle of the ice when the play all 10 times out of 10, the play is up the boards. He had... He had troops open, flooding the sidewall, expecting him just to do the easy dump pass, and he tried to make a pass into the middle. It got picked off. In the process, the guy who was passing to, Evan Bouchard, got caught way out of, in the middle of nowhere as New York t- took it the other way and quickly stuck it in the net. But they wound up, uh, all three of them wound up minus two, and uh, on the short end of a shot share on a night that Edmonton basically dominated uh, flow of play. They did not dominate when that line was out there. And when I say the temporary third line, I mean, if Devon Shore is hurt, they're going to have to change something up. And in fact, if he's significantly hurt, they're going to have to call someone up. Uh, Ryan McLeod, most likely. Yeah. And at center, I don't think that's a step down from Shore to McLeod. Because I think Mc- I like Shore better on the wing then uh, McLeod, but at center, McLeod's as good as center is uh, in the NHL as Devon Shore, because Devon Shore struggles at center. And I, if the Oilers had lost that game, it would have been one of the things I was ta- would have talked about too, because it, he's just not, he's just a little overmatched there, in my opinion. So, alrighty, uh, my bad thing. I'm going to go with Miko Koskinen, Bruce. He's had a run of good good games, and um, you might. You know, you might go through all the goals against and say, was he really to blame on any of them? And and that would be a fair comment. I mean, you could argue that these were all really good shots and things happen like Keith knocks his stick out of his hand on the first goal against. And um, on another one, Duncan Keith, who's coming down the wing there to get that shot that Keith gets his stick on and it kind of changes direction then at, the, at that moment and beats from the dot, from the face Chris, Chris Cry, Chris Cry, yeah. goal, yeah. We, so that's kind of a great B shot normally, but it changes as soon as that changes direction on the deflection. Mm-hmm. It's a great A shot. It's a hard one to stop. And then Mika Zabanajad's uh, five four goal in the third. Um, oh. Was it? Was it? He's a great shooter. Yep. But again, he's kind of shooting from close to the dot, and you might hope your goalie would come up with a big save. You would hope so, that, yeah. On great A chances, you'd hope he'd stop one of them. What we have found over the years, Bruce, is that they usually stop about three out of four of them in NHL goalie. Yeah. And when they're so when they're doing their job, they stop three out of four of them. And Koskinen tonight, they had ten, I guess, and he let in five goals. So it's not like that he was uh, terrible on any one goal necessarily. But he needed to make some big saves, and he didn't do it, and it's his job to do it. That's an NHL's goalie's job. Actual mm-hmm. job description is make big saves. Mm-hmm. He didn't do enough of it. And um, that's why I gave him a four on the game, because he just he didn't come through for his team with his, his fundamental job. And I know, so I, I was seeing on Twitter some people disagreeing with this idea that he had played not very well, but I, I don't think he played that, that well, so I'll, I'll stick with that. I don't think he played well, and I'm in Koskinen's corner all the way as an old goalie. But uh, as an old goalie, I believe that you know goalies are not just victims of circumstance. They can they can put a stamp on the game, and 
And he really didn't in this game in a positive way, as he has been doing for most of his starts. Uh, he wasn't coming up with big saves. I thought he struggled with rebound control. I thought he struggled with puck handling. He had a couple of giveaways. And he just never really seemed settled in the net. And I think the goal that Zibanejad scored uh, it was close to Rangers' last shot of the game because the Oilers really clamped down after that. They yeah. like, don't want another shot against us. <laughs> and, I mean, to give Zibanejad cred- credit, uh, I mean, he burned Darnell Nurse on that rush. He was flying. And he was flying into a good shooting position. So he got a lot of mustard. That shot was a rocket. It was a goal scorer shot. And he's a goal scorer, you know. So, uh, you know, you'd like to think your defense is not going to let the guy uh, uh, get to a shooting position like that. But Nurse was kind of caught deep and he couldn't match the speed as Vanjad. And that's what happened. I thought that would be the game winner for sure. Yeah, there was a lot of speed that Zibanejad built up through the neutral zone. I want to look at the forwards again on that, how that came to be. But Nurse Nurse was way back. There was way too much gap. Um, I don't know, just he started back and he never got up on the play. So I thought that was mainly on Nurse, that goal against. Although I I tended to lean that Koskinen was also at at fault somewhat on it. But, you know, if Dreisaitl took that shot and scored... We would just mm-hmm. say, well, that's dry sidle. So if you have right. these incredible shooters, right? There mm-hmm. are these incredible shooters in the NHL. Zabana Jazz, one, one of them. them. So you got to you got to temper your criticism of the goalie. Like you know, it's, there's a difference if it's Leon Drysaddle shooting it or let's say Kyle Turris shooting it right now. Mm-hmm. There's a difference and uh, has an impact. What's your number? Well, I'm going to go with the number four, I guess, but more, I'm actually going to expand that and I'm going to go with the set of even numbers, <laughs> which are finally represented on the Wall of Fame in, at uh, uh, Rogers Place. Uh, the orders have previously retired numbers 3, 7, 9, 11, 17, 31, and 99. Not only all odd numbers, but every digit in those numbers was odd. 11 odd digits on the on the wall never had an even numbered player and for whatever reason over the years and especially during the glory years the real hotshot players all had odd numbers and the grinders tended to have even numbers well kevin lowe was a grinder and to me he kind of represents the set of grinders on the oilers and and the most accomplished of them and i do honestly believe he deserves this honor he deserves the hall of fame honor he deserves the uh Order of Hockey in Canada honor that he got uh, for all that he did for this team and for this community over 40 years. Uh, he, you know, he played 15 years as an Edmonton Oiler, and the Edmonton Oilers made the playoffs all 15 of the years that he played. They won 31 playoff series during Kevin Lowe's career. Oilers did. They won four since he retired. <laughs> And so the success of the team, and he was a team player through and through. I mean, his whole game was it was all about the success of the team. And uh, one of the commentators tonight had a, had a real good made a real good point, or one one of the one of the guests, you know, uh, made a real good point about the two nets having equal value. Maybe it was McTavish, and the two nets having equal value, and the Oilers with all of their great snipers in that. Uh, Era had the one net looked after pretty good, so Kevin took it on himself to change his game a little bit, which was an offensive puck-rushing defenseman as a Quebec rampart, and worry a little more about defending the other net at the other end and letting his, letting his chums uh, 
worry about the stuff at the good end, sort of taking on the grunt work. And those are the guys that often get overlooked, off, often, but not always. And in, in the post that I, that I wrote and I republished today, actually, I mentioned other players of his ilk playing on other championship teams over the year, like repeat uh, multiple champion teams, like uh, Butch Bouchard of the Montreal Canadiens, the original Emile Butch Bouchard in the 50s, or... Uh, uh, Alan Stanley of the uh, 1960s Maple Leafs or Tom Johnson of the Canadians that were uh, defense first um, defensemen, but very successful at it over a very long period of time. And I don't know how you could possibly look at Kevin Lowe's career and come to any other conclusion, but that was him. And, you know, when you win as often as he does, as he did, you know, there's uh, what they say, 24 players with 10 cups. Or six or more cups. There's uh, uh, 15 of them with exactly six that are all tied for 10th, and he's in that group. And uh, that, I mean, his accomplishments as a player get him into me. His accomplishments as a citizen is, as you know, it's a different category and different kettle of fish. But it makes me glad for him that he's getting this recognition. I think he deserves it. Completely agree. And I liked your numerology session there, Bruce. It, it worked out in the end. It, I'm an odd and even, now. prime numbers, Fibonacci numbers kind of guy. I'm a numbers guy. But Starting to be a little You would never know that. But, you would uh, never know that. <laughs> that was a very McCurdy moment, but a great McCurdy moment. Good work. Yeah. You know, he also won the night. He was also part of the team that won the 1984 Canada Cup, oh. uh, which is huge. I mean, when a player wins... In international, like, you know, the heat of international competition is part of that. That's another huge feather in his cap. And, and you know, he was he was selected one of the six best defensemen in Canada for, for that series, and he was part of a winning team. So I think that goes a long way, personally, in getting him into the Hall of Fame. Just just that, that achievement on top of everything else uh, speaks to his ability as a, as a hockey player. Bruce, my number, you know, there, there was talk, uh, there's been talk like the Oilers can't beat a good team, like the fa- the schedules favored them and they played weaker teams. I guess the New York Rangers are seen as a pretty good team. They look pretty good at times this night. They've got all kinds oh. of attacking power. Do they ever? Man, they've got, they're stacked with great attacking hockey players. And um, the Oilers dominated them. And, and, and it was a it was a weird game because the Rangers got up to a four one win, but the you know it had been kind of close in terms of grade A chances, grade A shots up until then, and there was just this and that that gave the Rangers the lead. They they were the better team, but um, in the end, um, when when we look at all the different shot metrics in terms of um, shots at net, seventy nine to forty six for the Oilers. Shots at net in terms of shots, 39 to 25. And in terms of grade A shots, according to our count, it was 19 to 10. So all of those uh, numbers align and they all speak to a dominating uh, Edmonton Oilers team. Of course, you know, this is one one game where that score effects, you know, you're coming, you're the, yeah. the trade team. So you're pouring it on. Yep. And it that... That helps the Edmonton Oilers in this game because the Rangers, you know, you start cycle, they start sitting back, and um, that has an effect on the game. But um, yeah, let's see here: eight to two in the third period for Grade Eight chances, and then two nothing in overtime. 
Right. So, um, in the second though, it was, uh, two great A's for the Oilers and five for the Rangers. So it was only in the third and the, the OT that the Oilers really turned it on. But this is, it, Bruce, this is just another in- indication here. We're looking, <laughs> we are looking at a very good hockey team right now. A team that can beat you in all kinds of ways, but really beats you in one way. They just, so they totally outscore you. And there's, you know, going into the season, people thought this would be the Oilers' MO, that they would, there'd be a lot of high scoring games. Well, I'll take them. I'll take those wins against Pretty good exciting. teams in high scoring games. Uh, because I, I do think that probably, you know, we'll see what happens in some tighter games um, with the Oilers. But I think this team can win tighter games too because of the offensive depth that it has over three lines and six, five or six puck moving defensemen. I think that, that that can go a long way in those tight games as well. So they got to get the goaltending, of course. And uh, we'll see how that plays out. Yeah, well, I don't say they don't have six puck moving defensemen because I wouldn't classify either Chris Russell or Slater Cuckoo, their sixth guy, as being a yeah, fair enough. I kind of like Cuckoo. puck mover. Cuckoo's passing isn't that great to to my eye. Yeah, I, I, I don't mind the player, but I wouldn't classify him as a puck mover. Now, natural stat trick, we had about nineteen ten. Natural Statrick had high danger chances, 18-9 for the Oilers, including 8-1 in the third period. So it kind of mirrors our results in this game. They don't always, but there's there's, always, there's yeah. significant overlap between their high danger and our grade A. There would be some we call that they don't, some they call that we don't, but a lot that we both call. And tonight's game, it seems to be uh, there's a lot of agreement between... Anyway, 18 to 9, 19 to 10, whatever. That's a huge advantage for one team in one game. That's a lot of high danger, dangerous shots that the Oilers were able to generate in a game where they were really out of sync for the first half of the game. You know, yeah. and then they, they kind of geared it up after that booming dry saddle hit, as you say, and they kind of geared it up. And uh, and by the third period, it was uh, storm the Bastille time. All right, let's uh, let's leave it there, Bruce. I got to post this and uh so people can get to bed so yeah. some people stay up until they can see this so let's let's right. post this and probably already a little antsy that we're taking so long all nine, right nine one and oh and uh now we've got a weekend off and we can just stop and enjoy just like two weeks ago when they were five and oh now they're nine and one and we got a few days and then a wicked five game road trip coming up and that's going to be a different test but how about her the games have been fun and let's see what they can do on the road Hopefully Mike Smith will be feeling better by then. It's getting a little bit iffy, isn't it? Like how long he's been yeah. so close. He's been close to coming back for what? Almost two or three weeks now. So. Cost, cost hit the wall tonight. So <laughs> A little bit he did. All right. Thanks again, Bruce. Thanks for talking. All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast. Bye now. <laughs>